0: welcome to the creative Condition podcast the show where I Ben Talon illustrator and writer explore human creativity and invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity both the nature and the nurture the chaos and the calm creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness a vital ingredient in the solutions to all of our problems but so often misunderstood, Little by little, I'm building an archive of valuable stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by founding sponsor and B Corp, Illustration X. Take a look at their stunning range of illustrators and animators now at illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, it's by Dirty Freud, who you can listen to on Spotify and all good music streaming services today i am back with part two of the creative checklist it's a special the first part was done to hopefully help you gather some momentum and get some structure to that thinking for the new year to understand embrace and maximize that creativity with a rundown of things i consider fundamental to optimal creativity this is part two it's the rest of the list and i hope it's going to be equally useful for all you guys who were kind enough to give me some great feedback hello and welcome to the show this is the creative condition i am Ben Tal and i am your host how are you i hope you're well i hope january has panned out well for you so far i am quite tired quite stressed um maybe i'm doing stress maybe that's the way to say it i remember a friend of mine back in a, one of my first studios trying to accept the stress of being busy the kind of stress that we want to invite and then when it comes, not let it overwhelm us, but lean into it and accept it and allow that stress to help us to flow, to find those flow states, to hit those harsh deadlines, to, you know, because without that, we might just slump and we might get distracted. So I'm trying to do stress this month, if that makes any sense. Um, I mean, I don't know what it's been like for you guys, but December and January in the past have been absolute write offs. December, if you're not in the conversation, come maybe even early November these days for Christmas projects, it can be quite lonely and it can be quite stressful because as freelancers, then we come into that brutal Christmas period of two weeks, no money, slow return in January, people taking those extra few days off to round up the weeks when the kids aren't back at school yet. And there's kind of hurdles and sometimes it feels like we're into February before there's even an inkling of things moving and I, I'm not going to lie it was a bumpy year last year. Big ups, big downs but a lot more downs just in terms of the workflow and the quiet spells. Um, but January's been good. There's been some alright projects. There's been a few editorial briefs which isn't the most common thing for me these days. How's your January been? I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to get an idea of what it's looking like for a broader number of people. Um, but enough about my stuff. My fingers are covered in ink so that's a good sign. Um, my brain's a bit weary, I'm a bit tired. It's been um, a few stormy nights down here in the southwest in Salisbury. Um, I've been juggling a number of editorial like I said so there's a lot to think about, some quite big projects, a lot of spreads, a lot of amends. Uh, but you guys are my little island and it's lovely. I get to sit here at this microphone in this little ad hoc audio corner that I call an audio studio and talk to you about creativity. So how did you find part one? I got some wonderful feedback, by the way. Thank you for that. It's not so common these days. And I know fine well as a big podcast listener, that it's not the dumb thing to go and give immediate feedback to the podcast you listen to. I have my list. I have my wrestling podcast. I have my football politics occasionally. Um, I've been listening to the rest is politics recently. Interesting stuff. The leaders episode with um, Angela Rayner. Big recommend. I immediately emailed Angela Rayner about coming on the podcast. And I know it's frankly unlikely to get a deputy lab, Labour leader on. But her story and her thoughts on education, it just chimed with a lot of the things I'm always banging on about. I'd love to make that happen. So if anyone knows Angela, <laughs> help me out. Anyway, I'm not going to bang on too much. Thank you for listening to Sarah Boris. That got really good numbers and lovely feedback. I'm not surprised. I mean, that, that conversation was a real... It was a heart warmer, it was a fire stoker, it was a real um, inspirational one for me. So thank you for those who took the time to share that and Sarah's been uh, very generous in sharing it herself. It really helps when the guests get involved to get the numbers up. So that was a fun one, talking about activism, talking about her Care Bear phase, her chopping and changing in early life moving countries and about freedom and movement really interesting human fantastic artist big inspiration if you missed it go back and listen episode 209 but let's get into it But not first of all not without a thank you to the sponsor founding sponsor of the show as you well know illustrationx.com for all their global range of illustration and animation portfolios head over to illustrationx.com right now so here we go part two of the creative checklist why am i doing this i'm doing this because in the process of writing the creative condition book which is going to be out on the 28th of March all you lovely Kickstarter people will be getting your copies late Feb um, I have been distilling the key topics that I'm going to go to try and get press with the, the, the things I would like to talk and write about for opinion pieces and all that stuff it's all part of the book press plan and also in a loose plan for doing some kind of consulting and, and creative coaching it's something I want to make a plan for this year and start to try and offer my services in helping businesses and individuals understand and embrace their own creativity on a personal one-to-one coaching slash consultation counseling whatever you want to call it a very personal one-to-one dynamic I would love to do that I'm a people person I love talking creativity and I really think through writing this book and all this learning on the podcast and the journalistic side of researching I have um garnered something of a a rounded understanding of creativity to the point where I think if I make key areas and sections of what comprise creativity, I can help to identify where people might be lacking and and where they want to push. And that's what this podcast is. It's a very whistle-stop version of that. So let's get into it. Number 20 is learn to love luck. Now, luck is inevitable and it's pivotal. We mustn't ignore it because if we ignore luck and write it off as a factor, we're going to get blindsided time and time again. And it's going to be quite soul destroying. Uh, I have a friend, a good friend who told me about an acronym and it's S.W. 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 Uh, hang on. I've got this mixed up <laughs> anyway, it stands for, uh, some will, someone, so what next. There we go, yeah, SW, SW, SWN. So it's some will, some won't, so what next? It's a mindset, it's a psychology, and it's something I embraced a long time ago. And I will go one step further and say that my willingness to invite luck, my joy at the possibility of luck happening to me has been something of a driver over the years. I've become quite addicted to pulling off unlikely goals. Maybe that sounds arrogant, I don't know, it's not arrogant, but what it is, is ingrained because from an early age, I have had bouts of fortune and good luck. Some of it just blind luck, you know, like finding 20 quid in the street and winning competitions, but is it blind luck? And this is something I have explored in the book, in the chapter, do you feel lucky because I think it's really important, especially as freelancers. And especially because we're doing something that is an extension of self, that being creativity. When we're feeling good and we hit those flow states and we have forward motion, I think we have to take a bet on ourselves and go for those ambitious things. It doesn't matter whether it's a big client, whether it's starting something of a new big project that we might doubt in more pessimistic mindsets. But if we if we can't tap into that, and we can't give ourselves a chance and we can't, you know, accept that we already have our no. take a pot shot then we're not going to get the big breaks and don't get me wrong there are what I've done in the book is I've defined that I've uh, identified and described the difference between chance chance being the external influences that create the odds for fortune coming to us and then there's fortune which I define as things that good things that happen to us that are partly out of our control because you can influence fortune you can have forward motion you can you can hassle you can hustle you can be out there you can be putting your name in the hat to to invite luck and then I've defined luck as just blind luck as just things that are entirely out of our hands but can still happen to us you know what I mean so there can be that really that real stroke of bad luck that we didn't see coming and is really shit and that we have no control over and we can choose to to go on about that we can choose to feel sorry for ourselves or we can dust ourselves down and go fucking hell shit happens what's next because my point is the sooner that you are out of that self-pity mindset and you are attuned and back to being optimistic as you're grounding the sooner you will see the, the the next bit of good luck that might come your way or you might invite the next bit of fortune your eyes are open to opportunity if you know what I mean so I, I do think that the moment you went to self pity, you are harming your chances of better luck next time. Um, you know, we can encourage good fortune by being as good as we can be, being nice to people, seeking opportunities, playing the game. Then, when it comes, it's fortunate. Yet, yeah, it could have been that could have happened to somebody else. Maybe somebody else was also doing all those things. But by not doing those things, we're certainly going to lessen the chances of good luck. So, what's your baseline? Are you optimistic? Because optimism is a huge factor in the right kind of success and good fortune. I don't know if you guys watched Darren Brown's The Secret of Luck, but it's a fantastic watch. It's free on YouTube, legitimate one. Go and watch it. It's set just down the road from where I grew up in Keefley in a little village called Todmorden. Todmorden is like—it's quite a semi-eccentric place, slightly bohemian if you want to describe it that way. It's the capital of UFO sightings in the UK. Maybe that's just because they like to come there. Maybe that's a reflection of the people who inhabit Todmorden. I don't know. But it's really good. It's the secret of luck and he explores all these ideas about how our psychological perception of luck and how inviting fortune can influence our chances of receiving it benefiting from it really good watch I recommend it Um, on episode 154 of his podcast I interviewed Alan McGee the ex Oasis manager and founder of Creation Records and we discussed luck on that episode and he had this to say about signing Oasis just before they broke big just being lucky is not going to get you the biggest band in the world there are a few different aspects to it you have to be lucky to be at King Tut's that's a Glasgow venue where Alan first happened to see Oasis play but you also have to know, I've been into music since 1970 and I found Oasis in 1993, that's 23 years. If you haven't done the 23 years of research, being a fan, being obsessive about it, you're going to see them and miss it. There was, that was something like their 21st gig, that means they've played 20 shows and nobody signed them, guess why? They hadn't done their fucking research and thought, that'll work. I didn't look at Oasis that night and think they would sell 65 million records. I saw them and thought, that might work. You have to be lucky to get in the room. But once you're there, you have to know what you're doing. Number 21, think long term. So every one of us is on a different timeline. I think we can agree that, can't we? If we must accept and embrace the role of luck and fortune, then I think we also have to appreciate the fact that our creativity must develop naturally. And it's not always going to adhere to our schedule and our demands and the thing that we envisioned it might once be, you know, to go back to Alan McGee, I've also written about the slow burn that happened for him in Primal Scream, so he's there, been there, he was their manager back in the day for creation, now Alan, they're both from Glasgow, Alan managed Primal Scream for six years before they had a hit, six years, that stretch of time was necessary for a multitude of reasons, but Alan always trusted when the right time would come for the band, and it, uh, it, it took that long to repay his faith but he knew that chaos was at the heart of that band's extreme personalities and was both the reason for that long timeline and also the reason that Alan kept faith knowing it would be that he knew it would be their making um, I just luck makes people angry you know what I mean I see this time and time again and I see resentment of people who've maybe got somewhere or had something that somebody might want And there's resentment that creeps into that. But I think when you consider luck and good fortune, we shouldn't see it as a negative either way. I mean, don't get me wrong. When you get bad fortune, you get bad fortune. I've got a leak in my roof right now. I can barely afford to pay the building bill that's gonna come from it. It's really shit. But what's the point of me sitting there feeling angry about that all day, you know what I mean? If I'm back to being foundationally optimistic and putting myself in good environments, much like Alan McGee in that room, and thinking longer term, then I trust that the work will come because of that happy mindset that will thrice, four times over pay for that bill. That's, I have to, I'm a freelancer. What choice do I have? Um, it is worth saying that there's not always a payoff. No amount of hard work or faith guarantees us anything. Um, you know, like I said, the luck can be bad and there isn't a lot we can do about that other than accept it. But We can adapt and um, improve the way we respond to adversity. You know, and also the, another thing to this is how else would we eliminate the stuff that isn't right for us? Um, I mentioned before about Annie Atkins, uh, I didn't think it was on part one of this. I talked about seeing someone who was an awesome graphic designer for film and knowing I wasn't absolute. I couldn't be that. My personality wouldn't set me up well for that and accepting that was very cathartic so I was able to let it go along with other failed projects, you know. Um, Quenched music. I recently talked about Quenched, which I was creative director of of uh, my own company I founded it with Dirty Freud, Danny Skerritt does the music for this show we did it together to get into music and work with the bands we wanted to work with. He was writing, I was making art. Together we made a little music agency and it opened so many doors for us. And ultimately we had to hang it up because those things took off and we learned all these other skills that meant I could do podcasting and I could be better at my illustration and design and networking. And he got into uh, producing an electronic musician. He's played Glastonbury since and he's touring Sweden soon. He's been Canada, America really exciting but if you look at quench from the outside looking in you would go well that was a fucking failure It only lasted a couple of years and we never heard of him again since but it did what it needed to do for us it helped some bands along the way and i I basically did a talk based around that uclan's conference week recently called uh the theme for the conference week was close but no cigar and i talked about how that external perception of quench was one of failure but it was anything but for us we had such fun Another example I often throw out is Joanna Henley, who was also known as Misled, a very talented illustrator and artist. And it took Joe eight years after a fine art degree to even pick up a pencil again, because you know, financial restriction, trying to be a fine artist and then realigning and going a different direction. And it had to be that way for Joe because that's how her life panned out. Um, so with all that said, thinking long-term, which you have to do for that to work. There's a quote by Mihai Mihaly six and Mihaly, he writes in his book Flow, um, and this is about the flow states, which I mentioned in the previous one, but it, I think it feeds into this as well. In normal life, we keep interrupting what we do with doubts and questions. Why am I doing this? Should I perhaps be doing something else? Repeatedly, we question the necessity of our actions and evaluate critically the reasons for carrying them out. But in flow, there is no need to reflect because the action carries us forward as if by magic. We all do this to ourselves, as do any of those parents who shoot down creative aspirations of their kids. Because humans fear what they don't understand. But creativity goes hand in hand with the unknown. So we must always work to recognise this evolutionary aspect of our brains that will apprehend the unknown on the door and beat the shit out of it. (laughs) <laughs> to the detriment of our long-term fulfillment, you know, and reaching our potential. So once again, practice overriding the inner chimp and uh, with, uh, with with our consciousness uh, and action, the mastery it takes to to lock down those thoughts and think more long-term and accept the the laws and the knocks along the way. It, it really does take some practice and some training. And I think we, if we do that, we get better it with more life experience really hard. I always have to check myself. Some days I'm not great at it. But it is something well worth practicing to the best of your ability on any given day. Number 22, embrace tech, but beware. So Sir John Hegarty writes in his book, Hegarty on advertising, which is wonderful by the way, as is Hegarty on creativity. I had Sir John on the show on episode 50. If you want to go back and listen to a real advertising master and a very fun creative bloke full of wisdom. Um, he says how creative thinking is deployed will change and evolve. To nail your colours to any medium or technology will sow the seeds of your destruction. Um, I always remember and refer to a chat I had with then-DNAD President Andy Sandos, and, he, and he, I remember him saying technology is not going to shoot you. And his point was when he was referring to AI and all these technological developments that come fast and furious in today's life, that we mustn't fear them, we must embrace them, but we also mustn't put ourselves under pressure to learn them all. It's our awareness of them in, this, in, the, in the biosphere of being a creative professional that will help us to make informed decisions according to them. And I would say that's a big one with AI. Be mindful of it. Be aware of it. Learn how to use it for good in your practice. But don't be intimidated by it. Uh, stay attuned to what, what it's doing, what it can do, how it might affect you, and how you can stay one up on it. And I think you could say the same of any technological format. And going back to what Sir John said, he's absolutely right. You know uh, people who nailed their colors to instagram in terms of a shop it's really unfortunate when they just pivot and change their algorithms and it's really infuriating my, my engagement has been dog shit for a long time now however i maintain it because every now and again i hate it strong i still have good relationships on there but thankfully, I've been slowly but surely building a mailing list, staying on top of LinkedIn. Again, that's at the mercy of the whims of the people who run it. And the minute that what you're doing on it doesn't benefit what they're doing, could put it's over. You don't own your platform on there. So remember that. But I think that's great advice. Embrace tech like you always do, like you need to. Don't get attached to it. And be wary of it as well. Be wary of it in the way that Sir John, he- John Hegarty says. 23. Those silver linings. Now this is springboarding from a a big chapter, major part of this book about creativity and adversity, covering a lot of different cases of people who have done amazing things from the ashes of great traumas, adversity, bad luck. Um, You know, misfortune. Like I've mentioned before, what Phil Stutz says on his documentary Stutz, which is well worth a watch on Netflix, the three inescapables in this life. Our pain, uncertainty, and constant work. If you can't accept that and roll with it, to not sound too much like David Brent there, <laughs> roll with the punches, um, then you're in for a rough ride. There's going to be a lot of self pity and there's going to be a lot of anger. And, and and again, it's bad when these things happen. But if we can learn to get back up and, and, and see the good in the even terrible things, you know, it just makes life a bit more manageable. There's a beautiful story in this book. I opened the chapter with a story about the, the origins of hip-hop because it's just brilliant. Um, you know, the, the sheer horrors those people in New York, the predominantly the African-American community, had to deal with with the economic crash at the time in the 70s and the way landlords trekked them, which was, in some instances, burning buildings to get the insurance and kicking out the residents, these poor families who couldn't afford the rent. Um, so what the story goes, or so I'm led to believe, is that the younger generation of these African-American people couldn't continue the music, musical traditions of their forefathers, blues, jazz. Um, and all they had left in the absence of instruments was the records of their the elder generations. And it was at these rent parties and other kind of fundraising parties that they would that was the sort of famously the the origins of breakbeat and rapping it was supposedly a, a you know as it, ha- it has its roots in this one-off party with a DJ Cool Herc when his sister needed to raise money to buy a school uniform and he DJed it and it was in the break between the tracks that these dancers would start up and uh, apparently that's the, the origins of, of breakdancing and then people started to rap over the top of it because he didn't just want the the, the beats in the middle and I just stories like that wow me so I've covered that just a tiny bit it's a little it's only a a snippet at the start and then it's into Sarah Brown so if you remember the episode going back a little while can't remember the the episode number but we've said anyway look it up Sarah Brown creative condition podcast one of my favourite episodes singing also way out of uh, the adversity of her childhood and her confidence had been smashed by her father and singing in the church was picked up on as a, her ability and she has an incredible career under her belt now. She's currently working, um, touring her, Sarah sings, Sarah Brown sings Mahalia Jackson, incredible record and live show. And around that she sings as a backing singer. She's sang with Simply Red, George Michael, Stevie Wonder. Um, she does it with Simple Minds on the road all the time. Incredible talent, lovely, lovely person, really powerful individual. So I cover her story and I look at what, Malcolm Gladwell says in *David versus Goliath*, David and Goliath. My apologies. Incredible book about underdog psychology, and he says, "What do we mean when we call something a disadvantage? Conventional wisdom holds that a disadvantage is something that ought to be avoided. That it is a setback or a difficulty that leaves you worse off than you would be otherwise. But that is not always the case. He explores the idea of desirable difficulties and presents the readers with a couple of cognitive reflection tests." Um, and it's like two of the three that make up the world's shortest intelligence test and these are the kind of tests that are designed to trip you up and play on your rapid assumption that it's going to be straightforward and it's really not Um, and this intelligence test was invented by Yale professor Shane Frederick and measures a person's ability to understand when something is more complex than it appears to move past impulsive answers to deeper analytical judgments When the difficulty of the test was elevated slightly, the scores improved significantly, owing to the fact the participants had to work harder and read the question a couple of times to understand it. So did not steam in with the first and seemingly obvious solution. So he also underlines, of course, the fact that not all disadvantages have a silver lining, like I've mentioned already about bad luck. He says that feelings of demoralisation and inadequacy, for example, can negate more positive qualities such as hard work, curiosity and skill. Uh, you know some stuff is a part of life and it's shit like we've already said but there are other examples that I've covered so for example Chuck Palahniuk who Rough Fight Club got punched in the head and he talks about this and I think it was on Joe Rogan's podcast he talks about how prior to that incident uh, really unnerving him and having this, this bad experience a random group of people chased him on his bike and walloped him and before that he said he was very much a bad parody of Stephen King and other writers of that ilk but after that began writing in this punchy stripped back raw fashion and it's really become his go-to it's what made Fight Club it's what made him a a best-selling author on many many occasions and I love stories like that so again it's not about going looking for adversity because you can't engineer this stuff it's not about saying that you know misfortune is good or we should ever look for you know welcome it either but what we should welcome and work for is a mindset that when it does come which it will in our lives we have more power than we know to work with it and look for what we might take from it and move past it. You know, it goes without saying that not everyone can be Chris Halenga. Paul who in her early 20s was diagnosed with terminal cancer, but has since set up charities and initiatives and done incredible work for other people who are terminally ill and used her life to really live each day and, and she's well surpassed what doctors said she would have to live it's heartbreaking stuff but she's an absolute force of nature and an inspiration no not everybody can be that no I've, and nor should they be but chris is one of a kind and it really just when you hear stories like that it, may, it makes you well up it's um, incredibly powerful stuff so you know well, I get what you know, like I said, not everyone can be Chris, and what I'm referring to is the lighter end of the scale, you know, in our day to day businesses the spilled drink, the shitty social media comment, the, the client ghosting. It's about assimilating that stuff as all part of where we're going and what we're doing, and, and learning to feel that pain and then use it. Anyway, that's the tip is look for those silver linings. Number 24, spend time getting to know your individual requirements. Now I say this because I had a wonderful conversation in a recent episode with Ben Mottershead, who is autistic and has ADHD. And we talked about that, about neurodiversity and, and Ben talked about the best setup for his strengths within a working environment about partners to support him in the things that he isn't good at and isn't wired to do well, but also about getting the best out of the tendencies that, for example, is ADHD. Brings, and it, and he attributes the high percentage of neurodiverse people, particularly ADHD, in the creative industries, in part down to the rapid reward frequency that we get with design. For example, you know, all day long we're hitting mini goal, mini goal, mini goal. Change, make a change, send that email. It's a high frequency of immediate rewards. And he talked about that as opposed to studying for one test for three weeks, which he absolutely cannot do. And I love that. And when Ben talks about, you know, over time, getting to better understand his condition and, and how he is and how his brain works, he is then able to voice that. And hopefully will because it was Piers Roberts who recently said to me about neurodiversity that the conversation about neurodiversity moving forward has to be led by neurodiverse people and the neurodiversity community Um, I think that's absolutely right but if people like Ben can find it in them to share these stories and to, to help us all to understand a little bit better about what might be happening for a person we can factor that into our workplaces we can make decisions in our own working environment to make sure that our setup is absolutely well designed for that, to get the best out of it and i think if you first understand yourself and you can articulate that clearly to others it will only help that cause of making a more inclusive um environment that is going to be flexible is going to be able to tweak it for those people i have a friend who's recently diagnosed as autistic and he talked about working in a workplace that, that where there are a lot of autistic people and somebody wanted to do this new open plan office and he he was the voice because a lot of the other autistic people you know they couldn't speak up they weren't sure how to didn't want to didn't feel comfortable speaking up about this but he just he knew it was a bad idea because a lot of those people need a little solitude and a little quiet area a safe space to go to so he was the voice he's quite outspoken and I love that about this friend and he went and he told the bosses he fought the corner and now they're rethinking this redevelopment in accordance to the high percentage of neurodiverse people in the workplace and I think that's incredible and that's exactly what I mean but first you have to understand yourself first you have to change your own working environment optimize your own scenario and setup and then it bleeds out and it helps other people to work with you and and do that and the more we do that the more it becomes common so um I listen to Blind Boy as well Blind Boy podcast which uh, I'm sure you've heard of by now it's incredible he talks about how in school he was always up to no good he became good at being naughty and he didn't achieve much. He didn't leave and leave with a, a, a leaving certificate, which is a thing in Ireland. But he talks about the fact that to this day, when he's creating, he'll walk 20,000 steps in his office because he has to pace and he has to move to, to, to be creative. And there's just no acknowledgement of that in schools and these rigid systems. So I'd love to see a future where we can acknowledge that and we can make space for people in education and in businesses to do that and to, to respect that. 25, go back to school. It's, it's a simple one, really. I've, I've been doing so much reading and learning throughout the course of writing this book and doing this podcast that it's added a lot of color to my life and my creativity has been given such a jolt because I've got all these new frames of reference coming in. And this is something that our tutors uh, always used to advise in university and college and you kind of, you know, back then, you know, what you know, you like what you like, and you're a stubborn little shit. So you go, eh, all right. Yeah, I'll look it up, but you don't do You go and do your thing. In my instance, my one of my old tutors, Bill Parker, he was, he, you know, he, he was switched on enough to recognise that, and he knew I was a big wrestling fan, so he switched me onto Peter Blake's wrestling posters in the sixties, and it, it was took me a, just one step outside of what I was comfortable with, and helped me to get there. But now, as a forty-year-old, I'm reading far and wide. I've just finished a book about called Anarchism: A Beginner's Guide by Ruth Kinner. All these schools of revolution being talked about, and it's amazing because in today's world we need it. You know, with the climate crisis, I mean, we need to tra- change dramatically and the governments are not doing that. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to be out there doing the stereotypical anarchist stuff, which, by the way, is not always the case if you read this book. <laughs> um, but I'm learning about, you know, subjects like that and about neurodiversity and I, I, and I just think it's really important to enliven our mind and we can get stuck in these tropes of turning up to work, doing design, going home, thinking about design, getting up, going to do design design being the one example I've picked out of the air of course but what are you learning about what you're enthused about what's you know and don't just do this to to be better at design it's like do it because it's interesting and you enjoy it and it's amazing how that comes back out of the subconscious when we practice creativity um there's you know there's a lot of conversation actually within this anarchist dialogue about creativity and and how children learn far better through experience rather than obstruction which referring to the traditional education system as being something that perpetuates inequalities you know social economic differences kids from working class backgrounds famously not getting the opportunities in education and the arts like they once did Um, you know for example do you understand the difference between being intellectual and intelligence I keep going back to this school thing but I felt stupid for a long time after school because I was taught to believe that because I wasn't intellectual, I wasn't intelligent, and the two are very different. So go and look up the definitions if you haven't already and get a good understanding because chances are you, like I, being an artistically inclined creative person, you might not be, but if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. You probably felt a bit stupid at school too. And I think that's down to the misselling of intelligence. So go and look up the differences between the two because intelligence does not relate to knowing facts and, and being well read on a subject. It relates to our awareness and our engagement with the world around us and how we can respond in real time, you know, um, very, very interesting stuff. So this year, my tip is to go and actively go back to school. That might be one hour's reading a week on something, a topic you might never have thought of, or it might be going and learning about a board game that your mates playing that's cool. It doesn't matter. There shouldn't be pressure on this stuff. It's all about fun. You know, so I just think be aware of what school did to your psyche and your understanding of self and your intelligence. Go and put it right. Number 26 fuel up on dirty energy. So, replacing this is a big thing that I would love to see, and this is to do with not kicking kids out of school when they misbehave and not demonizing certain types of young people who've had trouble starts in their lives. Thinking predominantly of the sort of people who are a part of bike storms. If you listen to that podcast episode recently with Mac Ferrari and Jake 100. I think we should replace the word naughty with a need, a driver, a brief. So, when I look at my kids on a bad day, if they're acting up, I don't shout at them, but I might be a bit cranky. I might sit them back on the chair and give them a book, or give them a toy, or put the tally on for 20 minutes. Thankfully, there are a lot more good days than bad. And on the good days, I will consider that behaviour, take the word naughty out of it, which is surface deep, and replace it with a need. So, are they not being naughty but being curious? Are they being frustrated? Are they been sensitive? and they having a hypersensitive day? Because my kids are very highly sensitive, much like my wife and I. It was inevitable, really. So when they're balling and they're making a mountain out of a molehill, I don't step in and go get a grip. I think about the need. I give them a cuddle. I talk to them. I ask them, and I acknowledge the big feelings, and I work with them, and I get them back on an equilibrium. And then I try to talk to them about, to them about why that happened and how they might not respond quite so sensitive next time. How they might breathe deep, come and talk to me, come and you know have a bit of love. Very interesting stuff. Dirty energy is something I refer to as the, the negative emotion spectrum and the drivers we get from that. Injustice, anger, frustration all those needs, use that for your creativity. I talked to Abby Lucas, who's a drama and English teacher in the book, The Creative Condition, about the naughty kids being at the first at the door for their dance class. I'm hoping to get an interview soon with Dance United in Bradford, who work with kids who fall into the criminal justice system and use dance as a medium of rehabilitation to remind them they can succeed, to teach them tolerance, teamwork, empathy... uh instinct you know it's amazing i think these projects are amazing and i wish we could make them nationwide and really work with young people Uh, a good friend of mine shane gall he learned his tech skills and he learned to build computers personal computers from the ground up through a desire to play championship manager on a now football manager on a computer that could run it he was so frustrated that he started dismantling the machines and learning how to replace certain parts by messing about with people's old PCs that they threw out of the house, learned how to do it. He built our first family computer, real Frankenstein's monster from trade parts, real dynamo web developer now, really talented guy, but he, he was very, he was naughty at school. He was always kicked out of RE because we went to a Catholic school and a lot of us weren't religious. So we didn't really give you know, a shit about what we were being taught in that lesson quite naive looking back there's a lot of good stories in religion but um Shane was always kicked into the deputy head's room where the deputy head heard he was good at tech and had him doing all his spreadsheets and everything so you know there are lovely stories like that and uh Sean Ryder Happy Mondays front man I talked to talks about his mentor Tony Wilson who loved that dirty energy among the Happy Mondays because he considered them to be a little gang And he got them in the record studio where they could thrive. Got them making records well before they were ready to make any records by Sean's own admission. But he just wanted to foster that prickly energy and use it. So that's what I want you to do. Think about what pisses you off. Think about that anger. And then think about what instrument of creativity you might pick up. And how you might express that. Very, very healthy thing to do. Big one for this year. Going into this tumultuous year. Number 27. Design your own theatre. So I had an experience um, come out of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which I went to see, which is absolutely fantastic, by the way. And you could say this of any good theatre, but the lighting and the changing mood with a simple change, like music and lighting, got me thinking. If it's that effective in theatre, how much am I underappreciating how effective it could be in my creative environment? My need to change my creative environment? get out on any given day because i think on a daily basis you have to be sympathetic to what you need to be optimally creative do you get a low light instead of a big light do you get a big light instead of a low light do you get some candles on do you change the ambience and the music do you have to go to a cafe in town if you stop considering and thinking about this according to what you need to do and the parameters of how you can do that on any given day then i think you're underselling the importance of it environment is critical you know um, the colours, for example, Justine Fox, colour psychologist I had on the podcast a good while back is in this book too and she talks about how Marks & Spencer's green is very soothing as a colour and there was uh, some kind of you know new stars where somebody had an idea about black and red red being very um, alarming as a colour, very primal failed, don't know if it was because of the colour, probably was, the timing of it suggested so So that's to consider the colors, the decor, there's so much. Um, nomadicity. Have you heard of that? It's a concept of the fact that only since the advent of agriculture, you know, some 10, 12,000 years ago, have we settled 0.4% of our evolution of the human race has been spent in settled environments. So we need to move. We need changes of scene. We need that purpose. We need that drive. Some people need a football away day. Some people need to go to a gig. Some people need to get on a train and go and do something cool in a workplace that's not their home. Think about all of it. Um, Chuck Palahniuk again, he talks about his working environments and he says the more I can sit around an eavesdrop the fresher the stuff will be if I want to create work that people can sit and read in crowded airports and on crowded airplanes and in all these horrible distracting circumstances like hospitals then I need to create it in those circumstances one of my favorite places to work are hospital emergency room waiting areas people aren't allowed to watch television so you don't have a dominant form of media Everyone is under stress and there are always comfortable chairs. You get to be around all these people talking to each other, so you're hearing language. If I need a guest shot or a physical detail and I'm in an airport or hospital, I can look up at 200 or 300 people. <laughs> I love that. It's so good. Olivier Kugler is covered in the book. He um, you know, spent time in refugee camps and with ex-mafioso supergrasses and all these people to get his amazingly um, frenzied, loose... Expressive stories, is a uh, reportage. it's amazing. I used to go to the woods during lockdown. You know, I think overexposure to urban environments and lack of trees and greenery is clinically proven to lower our mood. Something about our connection with nature, we need to, uh, we need to be sympathetic to that. 28, find your tribe. Who are your people? I've noticed that we're still coming around from the ills of the pandemic and too much isolation is really harmful to our mental health and creativity. Even if you're introvert and you're really sensitive, you still need positive social relationships and pretty regularly. At Off festival last year, going back this year to interview Stefan Sagmeister on the Friday night, April 5th, if you're going to be there, it was incredible. The buzz and the inspiration and the shared love of creativity through all kinds of people, some really quiet, some loud. It was just a wonderful coming together of people. And Hector told me on the episode I did with him recently that, people were crying when they came back after the lockdown to do off festival again and people were begging him during lockdown to find a way to make the festival happen because it means that much to them so you have to find your people and that doesn't have to be in the workplace but i think to be energetic to be happy to to be rounded we need a balance of solitude and people time what that balance looks like is entirely individual consideration I've got Luke Tong and Daniel Alcorn coming up from Birmingham Design Festival to talk about that very topic on the show soon. It's a good one. Um, and to go to the extreme, there's a reason isolation is a form of torture, (laughs) you know, our intelligence and our consciousness dictate that we need positive, healthy relationships and socializing. We're lucky in this industry because we've got this shared passion that brings people together and people are willing to just come together and meet over our creativity. That's awesome. I always laugh about it but I say that dentists probably don't do that maybe they do correct me if I'm wrong because I'd love to go to one of those meetups <laughs> 29 avoid bad news cycle just avoid news cycles 24 7 it's so vitriolic and toxic out there on, especially on twitter when you've got pricks like Joey Barton just stirring up hate, and it gives us a vision of the world that I think is a little inflated in that it's all awful and toxic and bilious when the fact, the, the, the evolution of the human brain draws, we have negativity bias right, that's scientifically proven you can have 20 lovely things to you said in a day but if somebody shouts wanker at you on the way home, you're going to go on pissed off and talk about that remember that, don't pay too much attention to the fight or flight, flight instinct and get used to recognising when it's valid, when there is an immediate threat or whether it's that evolutionary part of your brain screaming at you, inflating something to make you action what it perceives as an immediate threat when all it is really is some dickhead with a keyboard who should be banned from the internet. <laughs> be careful. And if you need a real tonic, go and read Stefan Seidmeister's Now Is Better. And that's my last tip. Think long-term, be optimistic, Now Is Better. Don't get me wrong, the world's in a shit storm right now. But it always was, to some degree. And and what Stefan wanted us to do with his book, Now Is Better, is to look at the long-term trajectory of humanity. The amount of countries that are democratic, as opposed to a hundred years ago. Famine, hunger, the big picture, the long stretch, it's better. Of course there are wars. There's the climate crisis, which keeps me up at night and and freaks me on a daily basis, because it so desperately needs a lot more attention. But there's a lot to be optimistic about. And that's my last tip. I want you to go and find out why you should be optimistic and how you can handle those fears. Because really, truly, if you're optimistic, if you're happy, you're going to be a better creative and you're going to stand a better chance of making a difference to the things that matter and the things that you care about. So no matter how bad things are, there will always be awful things in this world, don't get me wrong, as long as humans are in it especially. We are far better positioned to address them from a place of happiness and optimism. So work hard to get there. Look up positive news. Talk to good people. Go for that beautiful walk. Make the work you always wanted to make. I hope this has been of some use. Thank you for listening, guys. We've got Luke Tong and Daniel Lancorn coming up very soon from Birmingham Design Festival. I was going to reel a load off and I've gone blank. I'm tired, I'm sorry. (laughs) got good stuff coming up get me any questions if you want me to respond to a question in an episode that's something i'm doing now let me know thank you so much for listening guys back next week uh do share do subscribe do review please it helps a lot take care guys stay creative thank you to the supporting the founding sponsor of the show illustrationx.com check out the global range of illustration and animation portfolios now love you all see you in a bit